Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. We have been continuing the book of Joshua, where last week we had, we had looked at the Israelites crossing the Jordan River supernaturally. God stopped the Jordan River. God gave his promise for his people, the people of the covenant, the, the descendants of Abraham, after how many generations from Egypt to crossing in the wilderness and into, they crossed over the Jordan River because the Lord stopped supernaturally the waters. And they cross over into the dry land. And they are now into the promise, the new season, the new place. It is the land that they have been longing, had dreamed or heard about for generations. And finally, they cross over. And the problem is, here's the land that God promised, but they have to take it. Meaning, there are residents there who didn't want them to have it. (laughs) Warfare, battles would rage. And in the coming chapters, you will see that there will be battles where God has said, hey, this is your city, but you have to take it. And there are going to be people who are going to resist. And when we look at the history of wars and victories don't just happen. There are leaders and people who rise to the occasion, leaders with the objective and strategies to lead his people. It doesn't just happen. Now, this morning, I'm going to, you know, lead you to see how the people of God prepare themselves in their strategy to take the promised land. What did they do? Why did they do what they do? did? (laughs) And what can we learn from what they have shown, the precedents? So we're going to look at the biblical scripture, why they did do what they did, and how are we to learn from what they did. Did do, 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 do. Anyways. <laughs> All right. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Joshua chapter 5 is what we're looking at. And Joshua chapter 4 ends is that they had just crossed over. Okay. Immediately after they had crossed over, this is what the Lord had said to Joshua and to the people. In Joshua 5, 2, I have the ESV version for you, but please take your Bibles and read with me. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. So here's a little background. The text explains why God had ordered the people to be circumcised. Now, if you remember, the generation of Israelites in Egypt, when they came out, they were there in the wilderness for 40 years. And really it was because of their own sin, right? Because of their lack of faith. They remained in the wilderness for 40 years. The first generations of the fighting men, they were circumcised. But they had died in the wilderness. And because they had died, meaning all the fighting men in this story, in the book of Joshua, is the next generation. They were born in the desert. You guys with me? 
So they, maybe they just didn't have the hospitals in the wilderness to have the circumcisions, and I'll have, hopefully I don't have to explain the <laughs> surgical methods of circumcision. But the second generation were not circumcised. But consider this. C- consider. We know that this generation of people are ready to go into war. They had crossed into the promised land, and they're going to wage war. Why did they get circumcised? I mean, it's not the most convenient time, right? In, in fact, if you read the, in the Genesis account, there were times that, I forget the brothers, they tricked people. You got to be circumcised if you want to marry your sister. And then they slaughtered them because they couldn't fight back. You guys haven't read the whole I'm looking at the faces. You haven't read the Bible. <laughs> but if you read through Genesis, you know. There's some crazy sto- stories out there. When you come out of a surgery, you're not exactly in the physical fit to prepare yourself to fight. And God ordered them to be circumcised. And you wonder, hmm, why? In the most inconvenient time, the why is that circumcision, more than the physical act of whatever surgery, was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham and with his descendants to say that I will be your God and you and your people will be my people. And as a sign of the covenant, of the promise that God made with Abraham at that time, he said circumcision is going to be the physical act, representation of that covenant promise. Uh, Genesis 17.10. This is my covenant, this is what the Lord said, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Say that again. The circumcision is the physical sign and obedience of the covenant promise that God made with Abraham and his descendants of the people to say, you bear the mark as my people. With me so far? Okay. So we recognize that there are signs that people wear or put on themselves to give identity. You with me? All right. There are, you can see, if you see a small petite Asian woman in a kimono, you might say, oh, she's Japanese. How do you know? You know, maybe the attire. You can see from a team wearing the same jersey on the field together, you can say, that is of the same team. And that is the opposing team because they're wearing a different jersey. By the attire, you can see the identity of who they are. I have seen people, some fraternities, guys branding some Greek letter on their skin, burned it to say they are part of some fraternity. You guys know what I'm talking about? People will show their identity by what they wear, what they put on, what they do to their skin. And the circumcision was a covenant sign between God and Abraham of what he said he's going to do that you are my people, it's like you are my children. I will be your father, and I will promise you this land. You guys with me? 
that covenant promise of the land, the people, the blessings of all that the Lord is going to do is coming back to this place where you're, you're into this land. If, before you get this land, you got to show that you are my people. Before I give you my inheritance, you got to show that you are my child. The heirs to the promise. Because God said, Genesis 17, 8, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That was a circumcision covenant promise God gave. And the Lord was reminding Joshua, you came and your children have not fulfilled that promise. But before I give you this land, let's come back to the basics. The promise that I gave to Abraham and to your descendants, you need to show that you are my people. Coming back. There are times that I think people can give lip service. I am who I am by what they say that they are. But sometimes our actions or the truth behind our identity may not be in sync with what we say that we are. Sometimes, did you know that? There are people who make a living by imposing, being an imposter of something else. They call them scam artists, okay? We can say nicely, imposters. I, I read an article, I kid you not. Anna Sorkin, and I think they're even making a movie about her. She claimed, she came from a peasant background, but she came into New York and said she was a German heiress. Like, and she was just, spend, I don't even know where she got the money, but she was spending money like crazy and claiming, forging documents to say that she was of some super high setting to get into the elite class of the highest uh, hotels and social clubs. And she claimed to be part of this community that she said she belonged. That was a scam. <laughs> uh, uh, but they're making a movie about it now. But um, God made a promise to Abraham and to his future descendants of his people. And you've got to show me a sign that you are my people. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah, it's in inconvenient. I don't think anybody really jumps at the chance. Let me be circumcised. Um, and, and so the story, so the people encamped at Gilgal to really, for after circumcisions, to heal for a few days. And there they observe their first Passover. First Passover, if you remember the, uh, how Passover happened in Egypt, it, Passover was God's angel coming over and judging the land. And those who bore the mark of the blood on the doorpost, God's judgment passed over. And it was to remember, and it was their first Passover in the promised land. Here's what happened after that. It's very interesting, I, or at least it was for me. Um, Joshua 5.12, and immediately after they had um, observed Passover, since the scripture says, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and they were, there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of the Canaan that day. It, it's, you read through the scripture, and there's a little blip about 
this manna ceasing. And if you remember what manna was through the wilderness for 40 years, you had, since you were born, can you, I want you to imagine your Joshua's descendants and, and, and the next generation entering the promised land. All your life, all you knew was manna crunch by breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right? That was your favorite meal because that's all you had. <laughs> manna crunch. You know, you didn't have milk and honey, but now you're in a land flow, you know, flow, probably not, uh, with milk and honey. And you get there. You are now able to see there is fruit. Oh, my gosh. There is honey. There is grapes in the hill country, whatever. And they ate of the fruit of the land. And in that moment, the manna ceased, which means they entered into the new season, into the new chapter of their life. The former chapter of the manna, God providing for them, but they're in a new chapter of the promise. You're going to go to the land flowing with milk and honey, which was not literal, but to say there's going to be a place of abundance. And you have entered into that place of abundance, and God says, now you don't need the manna. I know you like the manna crunch, but, you know, you can have cereal, Captain Crunch. Uh, but now you are able to eat from the land of abundance. And after you taste it, you're going to see that it's better. But you have to work for it. There are seasons, you know, when, when the weather changes, we know that the season's changing, right? Well, I, usually, the weather cools and the leaves change, then you know that the autumn is here, not in Florida, but, you know, in the rest of the country. <laughs> There's a season's change, and when the season's change, you can't wear the same clothes. You can't live the same way. You the former things have changed, and you adjust to the change. And I love that this is where the Lord is reminding them it is a new season. So, manna ceased. They observed the Passover. So, circumcision, Passover... And then immediately following, in Joshua 5.13, General Joshua is ready to, is around Jericho, the land that he's ready to overtake. And he, we get to this. When Joshua was by Jericho, the city, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I love this story. I, I will explain why I love this story, but I, I want you to remember this scenario. Circumcision, Passover, they're ready to enter and get ready for battle, and Joshua encounters this man with a drawn sword. 
Imagine that. Here's a scenario. And you, Joshua is like not afraid of fighting. He was a warrior. He has seen his years of fighting in the wilderness. It's not that he was afraid, but he saw a man with a drawn sword. What is a drawn sword? It's like a person with a gun cocked and ready and loaded, right? When a sword is sheathed, it's peace. But when a sword is out of the sheath, it is in the fighting position. The sword is drawn, and he asks, are you for us? Are you on my side or their side? And the commander, this, he says, no, neither. And he says who he is. I am the, Lord, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. The word here for commander, who is this guy? He says, I'm a commander. Well, the translation says he's a commander. But I want you to know that this word in Hebrew, commander, is sar, and occurs 421 times in the Old Testament Bible, in the Hebrew. 421 times, okay? And it's commander or captain 130 times, chief 33 times, ruler 33 times, many other words, principal, governor, all those things, six times, ten times, whatever. too many to list. The word sar connotes somebody who has authority, power, who is in the position to lead with subordinates. You understand? The most, this word is translated, is prince. And that occurs over 200 sometimes. Prince, 208 times. And in fact, in some translations, when this word is used, sometimes it refers to, and there's a debate of the theology, but they say when that word prince, sometimes they capitalize it to connote Jesus in the, in the prophetic sense. Okay? That word sar, it, depending on how it's used in the context, because it says commander of the Lord's army, military, with sword, the tradition has it commander. But that word is used as prince most other times throughout the Bible. You guys with me? So, this is my opinion. Say, this is my opinion. I think that's Jesus. This is beyond an angel. This is beyond a person. Why? Because he says, Joshua... Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Where have you heard that one before? Moses, burning bush. You guys remember that? Okay. Moses sees a burning bush. He approaches. He's a little curious. He sees the fire, but he doesn't see the bush being consumed. He approaches, and the Lord speaks to him through the burning bush. And then he says, Moses, take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is a holy ground. Was that mountain somehow more holy? Was the dirt that he was standing on more holy than any other place? No. That dirt was as lowly as the dirt of Wesley Chapel. Okay? But God's presence made that dirt holy. He says, you are standing on holy ground. Take off your sandals because of my presence I make everything I change and transform even the dirt that you are standing on, even the dirt that you are covered in, even the dirt that you have immersed yourself and surrounded, I can make all of that holy. 
That's who God is. And the only one who has that authority to do so is God himself. And this commander, this prince, I believe is Jesus, says, Joshua, take off your sandals. The place that you are standing is holy. And Joshua's response, he falls to his face and worships. And the prince doesn't stop him. You guys understand? If it was an angel, no, no, no. You've seen people see an angel worship and goes, no, 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 no. They stop. I'm not worthy of the worship. I'm not. No. But the prince says, I will receive that worship. This was Jesus. Joshua falls on his, on his face, worship. He did not stop him. Because he was worthy of that worship. And you might say, Eric, that's a great story. I like that story. You know, okay, that's Jesus. He showed up. Great. But so what? The so what is that we go through life and very often, like Joshua, ask the wrong question. God, are you for me or against me? We ask questions that we think is relevant to our life, our situation. But we fail to ask the right question. It's not, are you for me or against me, or, or there are circumstances. God shows up. The question should be, are you with him or not? Are you with the Lord? Are you following the Lord? The commander says, no, I'm not for you or against you. I am. I'm not answering your question. I am who I am. Now bow down. Jesus asked a question to his disciples who were walking. And he asked very casually to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they began to answer. They're saying, oh, you are John the Baptist. You are prophet Elijah or Jeremiah. They started listing off other prophets, right? But then he said, but who do you say that I am? Okay, I don't care what others are saying. But who do you say that I am? You see, we often talk about God and we say we know God. And we talk about him from a distance like this great deity who created, wound up the clock, let us be. But it's almost in a third-person description. He's there in the distance, but he's not, not in the first person. You guys with me? Okay, do you believe he's God? But is he your Lord? Is he one that you speak to and listen to? Are you, is he the one that you follow? Does he impact your business decisions, your family decisions, your, your life decisions? Or is he a God of the distance that you are aware that he exists? Who you say he is matters. We often say the right things, that he is God, son of God, 
God himself, he is our Savior. But is he your Lord? The one that you trust, follow, and obey. Joshua obeyed the Lord to circumcise his fighting men just days before he's ready to go into war. If Joshua thought that God was some God of the distance and he could casually uh, obey him to whatever he only agrees to, when God told him, hey, circumcise your men, he could have easily said, but God, come on now. Can we do this after? <laughs> after the war, when it's a little bit more convenient, when we have a little time of relaxations and rest, you know? Can we do that at a better, convenient time? Easily. And we often do that, don't we? We reason with God, this is not the right time. This is not the most convenient way. But God, can't this delay a little bit? If he is your Lord, obedience and worship is the only appropriate response. There is no, God, let's make a deal. <laughs> Give and take. No. Joshua circumcised the men in obedience of who God is and who they are. Who they were, who they are, what they recognized was a people of the covenant. And if they are people of the covenant, then there should be a sign of the covenant. There was no delay because they were not going to go into the promise to receive the promise if they were not people of the covenant. There's an order to to which God calls us. There's an order that he calls us into. In that order is his righteousness, peace, and joy. In that order is his flow of the blessings. And God is like, hey, here is the promise line. You have entered. I'm going to ready to give it to you. But I just want to make sure, are you the person of the covenant? There's an order. He had to show that sign of the order. He had to show that sign of the covenant. The appearance of the commander or the prince of Yahweh revealed two things. One, who he is. One who possessed the authority that he was God himself, who can make that dirt holy. Worship and obedience was the appropriate response. The wrong question was not whether he was for him or against him. Irrelevant. It's who he is. Two, the sword drawn meant that he was ready to fight. He came to fight. Now, we can debate if you think Jesus came to bring peace, then you have only a small snapshot of who Jesus is. Because in the other prophecies, when he comes, he's going to rule in power and sword and chariot. The Lord would come. In his appearance with a drawn sword means that he was going to come ready for battle, to judge. And this will be unlike other kings that we know in a secular sense who conquered other land for their own selfish expansion projects. If it was God coming, it was to judge the land, 
And I want you to get this. So it's very easy when we look at all these warfare after warfare in the biblical sense, like, to consider it any other warfare in our history. But if it's God, I want you to know it's judgment. Why is that a little different? Well, God's God, and he can judge. But here is, this is very interesting. It was prophesied where God spoke to Abraham when he made that covenant promise. It says in Genesis 15, 13, okay? So this is when God made a covenant promise with Abraham, and he explained what's going to happen to Abraham and his descendants for generations after. It says, then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. I want you to, this is Abraham, like, generations before the Israelites and Jacob are in Egypt. Prophesy that they're going to be there 400 years, but I will punish the nation, this is Egypt, that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions, right? Okay. Massive Exodus, Exodus story. Okay, verse 15. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. Where's here? The land of Canaan. This is where Abraham was at that time of the promise. He says, this will be your land. It wasn't his land at that time, but this will be your land. You and your descendants, and I will make a nation out of you, okay? He says, you will come, they will come back here. After 400 years, come back here. For the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What is God saying? Hey, listen. There's going to be a time that your descendants will come back here and will be their land. But not yet. Because the sins have not yet reached its full. But when they come back, it will. Meaning God knew the sins of the Amorites, the Canaanites, and all the rocks. <laughs> he knew what they were going to do. And that sin was going to be reached where God says, enough is enough, and I'm going to have to judge. And he was going to use Israelites to judge the land. The commander comes with a drawn sword. Joshua asks, are you for us or against us? Neither. I am who I am. I am going to do what I'm going to do. The question is, are you with me or not? You guys understand this? God's going to do what he's going to do. But it's to your blessing if you join him. And we talked about this several weeks ago. When you come into agreement with God, that's faith. The word faith in Hebrew is amening to the will of God. The word faith comes from amen. When we say we come in agreement, I agree to that. That is the truth. So when we say amen to God, we're coming into agreement. Joshua saw the prince, Jesus, and says, I am amen to whatever you're going to do. It's not whether you're for me. It's who you are, and I'm joining you. The fact that Jesus showed up makes all the difference. The fact that the commander, prince, Whoever you say he is, the fact that he showed up impacted the entire Israel and what's to come after. And I want you to know, that is the so what. He showed up. And when he shows up, everything else is irrelevant. Irrelevant. 
I think it was like 1996 or 1997. Oh, my gosh. Fresh out of college. I'm working somewhere. Uh, but back then, if you remember in 96, 97, it was like the time when Chicago Bulls was like reigning champions. You guys remember that? When Michael Jordan was playing. All right. The tickets were impossible. Even if you had the money to spend to buy the tickets, you couldn't buy the tickets. It was just pre-sold and like impossible. A friend through some business deal got a ticket, invited me. I'm like, all right, let's go. And I was watching. I'm not a basketball fan. But I didn't want to see, you know, what's this big deal about Michael Jordan? So I wanted to see. It was Wizards against the Bulls and USA Arena back then. And they played. And throughout, I didn't expect the Wizards to win, but it was a close match. It was like within two, four points all throughout. Then the last quarter. In fact, last two minutes. In basketball, you know, seconds, you, you know, can, a lot can happen within like 10 seconds in basketball. But in the last two minutes, Michael Jordan showed up. <laughs> Let me tell you, he scored like 30 points that game, which is like his average. But he scored more than half in the two minutes. When he wanted to turn it on, you know, I think he allowed the teams to just be competitive all throughout. Then it's like, okay, we're going to have to just secure the win. And two minutes in, two minutes left, he shows up, and he's making impossible shots. All that. And it just happens to go in. People can't block him. And we're, like, watching, like, wow. He showed up. Like, it was, like, 14 or 16 points in, like, super short, like, consecutively. It was one-man show. One per and that's basketball game, guys. One guy in a basketball game can make all the world a difference. Imagine God shows up. Jesus shows up. If you have to ask, so what? Then you don't get it. But he shows up. He makes Michael Jordan look like fool. In all areas. In your school, in your career, in your family, I don't care what you're going through, he can make your dirt holy. Your circumstances, holy. Your hopelessness, holy. There is nothing that is too difficult for him. I want you to know when he shows up, game over. There is victory. He's on it. It's a matter of are you going to join him or not. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.